right, Proverbs chapter 25 is where we're going to be tonight. You guys can get your Bibles ready, turn there, get your note paper ready and your pens and all the rest. And uh, hopefully I didn't put any tongue twisters in my Bible study for myself tonight. I don't know how good I would be at those. So I, I really hope that last week was helpful to you guys. Uh, those of you that were here, we went through uh, kind of that blue letter Bible um, and kind of showed you if you want to dig deeper, it's possible and it's free and you guys can do it. It's just about making the time. I want to also recommend to you guys another resource today that's actually within that blue letter Bible program. Or you can simply put this in the Google, in a Google, the Google search, a Google search or any search engine and find it. And uh, that resource is, is this. It's called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Okay. And what this is, is it is a set of cross references for every verse in the Bible. There are over half a million scripture references uh, within this database. Now, this is like a book you could buy. I like to do it online because rather than flipping through pages, you can just put whatever verse you're studying or looking at and you want to know, okay, what are some other connections within the Bible? This is a very helpful source. This can give you kind of a, a good uh, connection to the Bible as a whole. So again, you can do this on Blue Letter Bible. There's a section that you can look for called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Uh, or additionally, you can just do it into any uh, engine search. Now, someone tell me what a cross-reference is. What is a cross-reference? Yes. Within the, when we're talking about Scripture, a cross-reference verse. Anyone want to try to describe what that is? John, you want to Two verses that go hand in hand. I like, that's a good, that's a good description. Would anyone want to add anything else? Yeah, supporting factor. All right, man, John's all about it. Cambria, you got something? Yeah, that's good. A, con a contrasting verse. Absolutely. No, those are all good things. I want you to look down in your own Bible. You should be turned to chapter 25. Now, in my Bible, uh, it's on the side margins where I have cross-references. In your Bible, it might be at the bottom where there are some of these cross-references, or maybe it's in the middle column. And uh, you will find, you know, a, a verse uh, in, in little writing. And that's, that's a cross-reference. Uh, they, they connect you to a different verse or passage that has to do with the verse that you are currently reading. Now, those are not exhaustive, uh, meaning that it's not every verse that has to do with it, but they, they try to, to find the most helpful ones. So sometimes you don't even know, need to go to the treasury of scripture knowledge. It's helpful because it has, has a lot more. But within your own Bible, when you see those little mini verses on there, then what you can do uh, is kind of flip to that. And sometimes it can definitely help with that understanding. Now, it helps you interpret the Bible correctly to come to the full understanding of a verse uh, within the scripture, right? How many books are there in the Bible? 66. Now, because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author, though there are approximately 40 authors within those 66 books, 
because the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author, you always want to read a passage through the whole of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. You never want to do what is called cherry picking, which you're like, cherry picking? It means to take one verse and create a whole teaching around that one verse. You can make the Bible say a lot of crazy things if you take away the context of every other verse. You can make it really say whatever you want. Uh, you could just take one word here and another word here and kind of put it all together. But I want, I want to uh, remind you of something that I try to tell you often, and it's this. And never forget it. And I hope you're probably going to hear it again, you eighth graders, before you graduate, which, by the way, you're about five months counting down before you go to high school ministry. So you got to enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can, but excited for what God's going to do next. But I'll just throw that in there. So you'll probably hear me say this a couple more times. The best Bible com commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, okay? So never forget that. Meaning these cross-references can be so helpful to knowing what the Bible actually says. Now, with that in mind, we're going to get into Proverbs 25 tonight. And in light of this topic of cross-references, we are going to look at three chunks of verses that have a direct connection and reference to the New Testament. Now, this is always great, okay? If you're reading like something in the New Testament and you come to a portion that quotes the Old Testament, have you ever been reading the Bible and there's a quotation? Don't just read past it, read it, and then go read that quotation in its context. So if you're reading Matthew and it refers to a verse in Isaiah, go, and I, go to Isaiah and see the full context of what's being said. And what's really cool is uh, sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament and you don't realize it was quoted in the New, that's where some of those cross-references can be helpful. Say you're reading in the book of something uh, maybe random like Jeremiah, but then on the reference side section of the Bible, you see a reference to the book of Matthew. Well, maybe that verse is talked about in the book of Matthew. And so um, we're going to be looking at some of that tonight. We're going to be looking at Proverbs 25 and seeing some direct connections to the New Testament. All right, you guys ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the unity of the Bible, that there's not one word that we don't that we're not able to trust. All scripture is given of inspiration of God. And as we read 25, Proverbs 25 today, God, we ask that you would speak to us. That the words we hear, Lord, would, would be transforming to our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are first gonna start low. We're gonna start low with Proverbs 25, verse six and seven. This is one out of three chunks of scripture we're gonna look at tonight. Proverbs 25, verse six and seven. Look in your own Bibles and I'll read it to you out loud. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, then you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. So if you're taking notes, note down that verse six gives the instruction, okay? Verse six gives the instruction. 
while verse 7 gives the reasoning or the logic. Verse 6 gives instruction, verse 7 gives the reasoning or the logic. And basically, the instruction is this. When you are in the presence, so in person, with someone of great status and honor, don't make it about you. Don't put yourself in the best seat of the house. It says, don't exalt yourself. That word exalt, it means to honor, to praise, to glorify yourself. Solomon here cautions against false assumptions, assuming that you have a place that you might in fact not have. Why? Well, look at the reasoning in verse seven, because it could be embarrassing to you if you assumed that you had a better seat or better place than what you were actually going to be given and they had to bump you down. It would be better for you to start low and then be offered to maybe a better or higher status seat. Let me give you an illustration and some examples. It would be like getting invited to a wedding. Have you ever been to a wedding before? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, maybe you've seen them on TV. And imagine you get invited to a wedding and you go up and you sit front row, front seat, front row and first seat on the aisle. And you go and assume, well, that seat's open, so I'm going to sit there. Now, traditionally, that is the seat of the father of the bride. And imagine he walks her down the aisle and goes to sit, and he says, scram, get out of here. And you have to, in front of the entire wedding, get up and go and find a seat in the back. Talk about embarrassing. Or imagine if you go on a plane and you assume, well, <laughs> I'm so great, of course, I'm gonna be sitting in first class. But your ticket really says economy. So once everyone is seated, the flight attendant asks you to move and you now have to take the walk of shame to the very last seat back next to the bathroom. It would have been better for you to start in the back and then if they offered you first class to get the exciting walk of, oh, oh, oh I, I get to be in first class rather than being sent to the back. Now, this is the concept. And the Bible specifically says in, in, in to have that attitude when you're in the presence of a king or someone of high status. Now, is there anything similar to this proverb that would be a good cross-reference and help our understanding. Well, as a matter of a fact, there is. I want you guys to put your ribbon. We're going to be doing this with, with each chunk tonight because we are doing some cross-referencing tonight. You are going to put your ribbon, your finger, or your pen inside chapter 25, which is where we're at. And I want you guys to turn to Luke 14. So I want to hear some pages flipping. Let me hear them. Luke 14. I want you guys to turn there. And I'm going to read it to you. Luke 14. Now, within the first six verses that we're not going to read, the scene is this. The scene is where Jesus goes to the house 
of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. So he gets invited over to a party and it says the purpose was to eat bread on the Sabbath. So it was the day off and uh, one of these rulers invited Jesus over. And so you just know what's about to take place is gonna be interesting as it always is. Luke tells us that as he gets to the house, they watch him closely, meaning they're just looking at him. They, just, they, they want him to make a mistake. They want him to mess up. It's here that Jesus actually notices. So he sits down and he's looking around the room. They're watching him. What they don't realize is that Jesus is watching them the whole time. So Jesus is watching as these Pharisees come in and they sit down. And he noticed how as they come in, they are choosing the best places to sit. And so because of that, he gets their attention and tells them the following parable. Look in your Bibles at Luke 14. So he told them a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You guys see the connection here? It almost seems like this was the exact parable, sorry, the exact proverb that Jesus had in mind when teaching this parable. Now the Pharisees, we know a lot about them. They often acted in pride and arrogance, right? They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be heard. It was all about them. When a Pharisee prayed, they prayed loud, loud enough for you to hear it. When a Pharisee gave, they gave loud enough for you to hear it. When they did something charitable, charitable or kind, they did it to be seen by men. And so because of this, Jesus uses this parable, which seems to be connected to this proverb that we just read, which they should have known, to teach them a heavenly principle. And what is that heavenly principle? Well, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Start low. We know that God resists the proud, but gives what to the humble? He gives grace. Everyone say grace. He gives grace to the humble. And so if we start low, the Bible says that God will see to it that we're lifted higher. But if we start high, we say, well, of course I deserve that. And then we're going to be brought low. First Peter 1, sorry, 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says this, and it's very applicable for us tonight because you and I, I would like to think I, be in the category of younger people. Am I in the category of younger people? No. Uh, 
No, I'm... There's, there's some debate here, all right? I like some of you guys. Look at the screen. Likewise, you younger people, me included, submit yourselves to the elders, to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives what to the humble? Grace. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. To submit yourself to one another is to put yourself under another. It's to give preference to someone else. And as a Christian, we're to be clothed with this humility. Do you guys see that? Clothed with humility. That's the idea is that it's not just a one-time act. We don't just be humble once and we're good. No, it's to be this attitude, overall attitude within the life of a Christian. You see, I believe that God wants to honor us. His heart is for us. He wants to exalt us. He wants to put us in places of influence and places of honor, but only as we start low. That's why James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up to practice a life of humility, to put yourself second, and so to spare yourself the embarrassment and shame of getting humbled. You see, this is a principle within the kingdom of God. And so if there is someone on this side of eternity that lives prideful against God, then they will be humiliated in the life to come. And that's not just regarding salvation, but this is a principle that is true of everyday life. You either, everyone look at me, you either start humble or you end humbled. If you start humble, you'll end exalted. And if you start by exalting yourself, me first, all about me, in the end, you'll be humiliated. So the proverb is clear. Start low and God will handle the rest. All right, second one for the night, we're moving along, is to go directly and privately. Now turn back to chapter 25. Hopefully you kept your place there. If not, you can turn back there. But Proverbs 25, verse 8, 9, and 10. Kind of go on to a different subject that we'll look at in a moment. You guys there? You guys back in chapter 25? I'm telling you, we, we do those Bible drills for a reason. We want to get you prepped. want to get you prepped to be able to turn quickly. Look at verse 8 with me. Do not go hastily to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose, disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. Okay, so if you're taking notes, the beginning of verse 8 and 9 are the instruction. Okay, he gives a further instruction and wisdom. And the rest of the verses give the reasoning. So the beginning phrase of verse 8 and 9 are the instruction. And that is quite simply 
don't be so quick to sue someone. Now you might say, I am in junior high. I have never had this thought of suing anyone. Well, maybe you have. Now, to go to court, right? Listen, it says, do not go to court hastily. A legal fight, bringing forth a lawsuit. Don't just get mad at someone and say, I'm going to sue you and then actually do that, okay? Hastily, it means to rush into it quickly. It is the fool. Listen, it is the fool who is quick-tempered, but the wise is slow to anger. So rather, the beginning of verse 9 says, look at the beginning of verse 9. It basically says, go directly. Debate it with your neighbor. Before we take it to the system of the court, let's actually talk about it. Go directly to the one you have something against. And why? Why should we do that? Well, quite simply, because what if your neighbor owns you in court? What if you go and sue and you think this is a good idea, I think I have it, and then you get absolutely humiliated? That's what it says. Look in your Bibles. It says, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? He destroys you in court, your reputation is ruined, and things don't go as you thought. Quite simply, he says, slow down. Rather, go directly and privately and see if it can be handled by itself. Now, is there anything similar to this proverb that would be a good cross-reference and help in our understanding of when we have an issue with someone? Should the believer's reaction when someone offends us or does something against us be, let's get our hands dirty. Let's go to court. Let's, let's figure this out in a court of law. Uh, the answer is, of course, we know is no. But, but how do we know that? Well, one of the passages that tell us this is not that passage on the screen, though it says it. It's 1 Corinthians 6, okay, not 16. I don't know how that one slipped in there, but it's 1 Corinthians 6. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to put our ribbons where? And listen, if you don't have a Bible with ribbons, we got to get you one, all right? That's just, it's just so, it's so convenient, okay? And then if you're borrowing a Bible, you probably don't have a ribbon, and that's sad, so bring your own Bible that has a ribbon, okay? So Proverbs 25, put your ribbon there, and turn to 1 Corinthians 6, not 16, 6. I want to hear some pages slipping. Let's keep it going. You don't have to like do it louder and rip the pages. I just, just naturally, okay, it's okay. First Corinthians 6. First Corinthians 6. Look at, we're going to read together verse 1 through 8. Now we're going to read this and it's going to be pretty clear that the Corinthian believers had some issues and especially when it came to suing each other, Okay. And so Paul's got to address it. He's got to address a lot of other things, but this is the topic for chapter six. You guys there? If you're there, say word. word. All right, look at verse one. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? 
how much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge unbelievers? Verse five, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? Are you catching the sarcasm? Verse six, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat and you do these things to your brethren. Did you catch it? Did you catch the logic that Paul is using? He's saying, listen, this is insane. Why can we not handle an issue within the household of God? If we are actually brothers and sisters in Jesus who are gonna live together forever, why can't we figure this out? We're gonna go to unbelieving pagans to settle our disputes for us because we are acknowledging that they have more wisdom than us. He says, it is not right. And so Paul rebukes and tells him that this is a horrible witness that is exampled in them suing one another. This is not what Jesus taught us. What did Jesus teach us? I mean, let's talk about this topic for a moment. Someone does something so big to you. It's not just like, oh, he called me a name. No, no, he did something. It can be, that can be included. Okay, I'm not dismissing that. But something even so big that you could actually take someone to court on behalf of it. I don't know what that would be. We could talk about some examples. But we're just talking about in general, in general, someone sins against you, okay? That could be calling you in a name. That could be talking trash behind your back. That could be whatever it might be. That could be, uh, I, I suppose, yeah, anyway, we could get down some rabbit holes there. Matthew 18. Okay, I don't want you to turn there, but just look on the screen. I want you to note down the reference. And what I want you to put next to the reference is that this is the model for relationships that Jesus has put in his word. This is the model when someone has been sinned against. Okay, And he gives us three phases to go through. And these phases are important that they are in order, okay? Follow along with me, look on the screen. I'm gonna walk you through this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, okay? So we got that, brother or sister, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, directly and privately. If he hears you, you've gained your brother, okay? That's phase one. Jesus says, if someone has offended you, sinned against you, you are upset, angry, and mad at this person. Jesus says, step one, phase one, go to that person directly and privately. And if they're willing to hear you, then you have gained a brother, you have gained a sister, you can move forward in unity. That's what God wants. The goal is never having to move out of step one phase one. Hopefully that sets all everything right. 
So before you talk to this person and talk to this person, well, what do you think? They did this to me. No, no, you go directly, meaning first, not that you tell everyone else and then go to that person. Step one is to go directly and privately, okay? Step two, look at the, the screen. But if he will not hear you, so let's say that person, you go to that person, they just blow you off. Psh, whatever, I don't even care. Get out of here, you're lame, okay? Verse 16, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, this isn't like, all right, get your gang together and then go like approach them and be like, hey, what up? No, that's not, that's not like, that's not what's going on here, okay? That's not what's happening. It's not you get one or two, so you seem really scary. No, you get one or two brothers or sisters, okay, that are walking in the spirit, that love Jesus, and you go to that person, and maybe they were somewhat involved in what happened, like those are good witnesses to come, and you say, hey, like, and, and they have, there's kind of that, that now more authority with two or three witnesses according to the Bible, okay? Now, if that person still says, well, you were lame, and now y'all lame too, get out of here, I don't like any of you, okay? Now, moves on to phase three. Look at phase three. Look at this. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Okay, so what's happening here? Basically, step three, shh, listen, step three is now you get the church leadership involved. You get some pastoral lead involved. And now you go to them and say, hey, I, I went to this person just, I did phase one and phase two, just like Jesus told me, but they're still unrepentant, unwilling to acknowledge what they did. Now the church steps in and they do what's necessary. If they blow off the church, then now their relationship with the body of Christ is severed and the leadership of the church does what it feels led to do. Now, the problem, guys, is that this very rarely happens. A lot of people like phase three. They're like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go to the elders. We're going to go to the church. We're going to get pastor involved. And then they're really, let's see what they think about them. They're like, oh, they think they're a holy roller. They don't know. And so what do they do? So they, they, they skip phase one. They skip phase two. They go to phase three, and they mess the whole thing up. Jesus knew what he was doing. First, go to them directly. Don't tell anyone else. And most often, if they love Jesus and they want to, they're, they're, they're attuned to the, what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life, they're going to be like, you know what? Yeah, no, you're right. No, I'm sorry. Like, will you forgive me? And then boom, it ends there. But the problem is we like to jump to phase two, get your posse together. Hey, what's up? Or we get the church involved. I don't know why I'm feeling a little gangster tonight, but it just, it's, just, it's just how it is. Now, on the other side of it, though, is this. Okay, this is the other side. Is Matthew 5. Is Matthew 5. Jesus talked about it on the other way. So what we just talked about is if, if you have something against someone else. Okay? But Jesus covers the other end, and this is about if you know that someone has something against you. So you, this is now not you being sinned against. This is something that you know 
you have sinned against someone else and they are offended. They are upset. Jesus says, you don't wait for that person to obey Matthew 18. You do Matthew 5 verse 23, which is what? But, well, look. Therefore, if you bring your, altar, your gift to the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, before you worship, and let's say, let's say we're about to start worship and you know you have, someone is super upset with you in this room. You've done something wrong and you've sinned against someone. They're supposed to come to you but let's say they don't. Let's say they're in that disobedience. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed, before you raise your hands and worship, Jesus says, you get with that person and you apologize. You make things right. You, and then after you make things right, then you come and worship me. And then he says this, verse 25. He says, agree with your adversary quickly. And I want you to look at that word quickly. We don't have time to get into the other stuff here. But listen, Satan loves when there can be things that get in between brothers and sisters in Christ and stay there. He loves it. But Paul would later say, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, meaning reconcile quickly. Don't say, don't push it off. Well, I'm going to give it a month because I'm upset with that person. I'm not going to just let them back in. I'm not going to forgive them that easy. The Bible says, don't do it. Do it quickly. See, God wants us to resolve the conflicts quickly and the enemy loves division. But listen, the longer you wait to get something right with someone, the harder it is. So all that to say, either way, God puts the responsibility on your shoulders. Okay, everyone look at me. If you offended someone, Jesus says, go and make things right. If you have been offended, Jesus says, go and make things right. Listen, if everyone obeys this, then, then we can move forward in unity. But so often we, we push it down. We allow bitterness to grow or we gossip and tell other people about what someone else did to me rather than obey what Jesus said in the beginning. And so it's awesome. He, he gets it from both sides, okay? Make sense? All right, third and final tonight, overcoming evil. Overcoming evil. Look at verse 21. We are back in Proverbs 25, by the way. So you can, if you have a ribbon, I'm telling you, those ribbons, life-changing, game changers. Verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. Okay, so if you're taking notes, verse 21 is the instruction and verse 22 is the reasoning. Okay, just like kind of what we've been doing the last couple chunks. Verse 21, that's the instruction. This is what to do. And verse 22 is the logic or the reasoning. And so what's the instruction? Well, look at verse 21. If your enemy, this is one, someone who hates you, someone who is openly against you, God says, if that person is hungry, what do you do? Feed them. 
And what if they're thirsty? What do you do? You give them some, something to drink, okay? Not poison. You give them something clean, okay, to drink. Pretty straightforward. Basically, translation, listen, the person who hates you, God says, take care of them. God says, take care of their physical needs. Now, what is the result of doing this? Look at verse 22. This is the result. This is the reasoning. This is the logic. If you do this, you are then heaping coals of fire on his head. What the heck does that mean? And then the Bible says that the Lord will then reward you. Now, at first glance, that can seem like a a bad thing. Because usually if you throw hot coals on someone's head, it's usually frowned upon. It's usually not something good to take fiery hot coals and put them on someone's head. Usually not a good thing. But within this context, it says that the Lord will reward you for doing this. So we know that it's something good and something actual kind. Now, listen, we don't know the exact origin of this phrase or practice. Many think that it could refer to how one would lend a hot coal so that a neighbor could restart their fire, okay? So for us, you know, we have electric stoves, gas stoves. We just fire that thing up. We don't think twice. We have gas connected to the places where we live. It hasn't always been that way. And without fire, you probably weren't really eating food. And so fire was a huge life source. And so if your fire went out, it wasn't, they didn't have, you know, oh, we'll just get a box of matches. Yeah, they didn't have that. Oh, we'll just get the lighter. Yeah, they didn't have that either. So they would try to maintain these hot coals over the days and the week. But sometimes it would go out. And so all you needed was one hot coal to get your fire going again. And so a neighborly thing would be to go and, and, and put that for them to carry home. Now, in addition to that, Many think that the idea to heap coals of fire on someone's head in this context would be to be so kind to them, it burns. To be so kind and nice that it brings a burning conviction upon their life. That they were horrible to you. They were evil. They stole from you. They, they hurt you. And yet you respond by feeding them? Ooh, that burns. That the goal would then be under the heat and pressure of this applied kindness that this person would feel shame. They would see your actions. They would know their actions. They would regret it and they would repent. You see, according to the Bible, according to Paul, It is the kindness of God that leads someone to repentance. And so by your unexpected kindness and generosity, we could be used by God to lead others to Jesus and so be rewarded by God. Now, what's cool about this section is that there is an exact quotation in the book of Romans. So we won't actually return to chapter 12, Uh, chapter 25, excuse me. So you can close. You don't even need to put the ribbon, okay? On uh, chapter 25, I want you to go to Romans 12. Last place you'll be turning tonight. I want you to park there, okay? Put the, you can even put the emergency brake on. Romans 12, verse 
Romans 12. When you're there, what do you say? Word. Word. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, and here's our verse. If your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You feed him. If he's thirsty, what do you do? Give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, what does it say? Good. Paul says that God will take care of everything in the end. You don't need to become an avenger, okay? You don't need to get revenge for yourself. God says, he says, vengeance is mine. You know, God is the ultimate avenger. He's the one who will set all things right. God says, listen, you're gonna try to get revenge and it's gonna be pretty weak sauce. And so he says, let me take care of it. I'll make sure it's good. You don't get revenge, revenge. You do something better. You repay their evil with good. Similarly, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, right? We know this one. I say to you, love your who? Enemies. Enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, I don't think what this means is you know, someone calls you a name and you say, well, God bless you, you know, and it just makes them feel like weird. Like, I, I don't really think like that's what God means. You know, I, I don't think that. I think it's more by your good, like you're, you're not seeking to get revenge. You're not seeking to get even, but rather you literally, you know, Someone eggs your house and you bake them some cookies with some of the eggs that they egged your house with. Not, not, I mean, not really, but you, you, now that sounds nasty. I don't even know if that's a good thing, but, but that you repay evil with good. That is not normal. Okay. In our world, when someone does something bad, you want to do something bad back to them. That's, that is sinful normalness. So when you are someone who does not respond in a normal way, you stand out and you become a light in a dark world. And who knows, for some people, listen, for some people, this only makes them angrier. I already didn't like you because you're a Christian and now I hate you because you made me cookies and I, and I, didn't like you, and you're the, the, the more mean I am to you, the more nice you are to me. What is wrong with you, you Christian? Now, but for others, listen, others, it might be your kindness to them when they hate you might be the very thing that God uses to bring them to their knees. You see, this should be our heart, not to get back at our enemy. You're not, you, you know, not that you're like in your room, Ooh, I know how to get back to them. I'm going to be more nice to them than they could possibly imagine. It's not, it's not like that. It's the thought of, I'm going to show, I'm going to display the love of God in such a way that they're going to be irresistible 
they are going to feel irresistible to the love of God that I'm displaying. Proverbs 24, 17 says, don't rejoice when your enemy falls. This was yesterday what we read. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. You know, we know the weight of eternity as believers. We know that that person who is acting in a hateful and horrible way to us, our enemy, might, we know where their soul is going to end up. And so we don't rejoice at their fall. We are to have the attitude like Stephen. You guys know Stephen in the Bible? Or Stephon? No, I, I, don't, that's, I don't know why I said that. It's Stephen. He's the first martyr of the church. And as, listen, as he was being stoned, they took stones and they chucked it as hard as they could against his body until he died. What did he say? Before he died, it says, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Of course, we know that he, he died. Now listen, that's the attitude we're to have. That's unmatched kindness. The, this is a foreign concept to the world. And so when we display that in small things, it freaks them out. And hopefully it freaks them out all the way to Jesus. Or what about Jesus on the cross? Luke 23, 34, when he said, Fought, they are crucifying him. Unjustly so. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus is our ultimate example of this. Jesus is the ultimate example who did not overcome evil with evil. Could he have? Absolutely. Could he have killed every single person that laid a hand on him? But rather than killing, he, he allowed himself to be killed on that cross, murdered, so that they might have life. Think about it. Jesus died. You know who got included in that? Jesus died for the people that killed him. He is the ultimate example of overcoming evil with goodness, kindness, and generosity. And so our mandate is clear. We do not overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, just the incredible complexity of your word. God, we're so glad that, you know, it, we'll never get tired of it. We're not going to read the Bible for a month and be like, all right, I'm done. Lord, that you, it's so rich. It's so full. There's so many connections that, Lord, we could spend the next hundred years studying and we would not even be close. I love that your word, you tell us, will endure always. That the, the grass withers, the flower, the, flower, the flower fades. God, but the word of God endures forever. And so God, we pray that you would help us to go and live these things in our everyday life. Lord, that we would have an attitude of humility, that we would be clothed in humility, that you'd help us to start low, that we might experience 
your lifting up, your exaltation in our life. God, that you would help us to, to go to one another directly and privately. We would not get our posse involved. We would not get the church involved. Not until we've done what you told us to do. And hopefully, we would have gained a brother. We would have gained a sister. God, in that, God, you'd give us self-control over our responses and reactions towards those who could be considered our enemies, those who openly hate us. We would not be excited for their downfall, but we would be freakishly just in love with you that it would rub off on them. That they wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't understand why can't we get under their skin? Why won't they respond? Why won't they hit me back? God, in that they wouldn't see us, but they would see the light of the world. They would see Jesus in our lives. We love you and look to you for all things. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 